Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. A new concept launching right here in the Chicago area in veterinary medicine encompassing so much more than just the veterinary exam and veterinary needs of the animal. Marianne Minnick will be here and she will explain. Also... I'm afraid I may go Hollywood on you soon. I was in a movie. We will talk about that movie, which, of course, why would, why would I ever be in a movie that didn't include a dog or a cat? This movie, one of the co-stars is a dog. The name of the movie is called You're Out. And we will talk with the producer of that movie, Sandy Delisle, who, of course, in her other life, works in animal welfare. But this movie actually was premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, so it must be really good. Wayne Pacelli is the president of Animal Wellness Action and Center for a Humane Economy. And I'll tell you, with all the controversy surrounding the Supreme Court, I'm talking about the ruling about a dog toy. I don't even know if you heard about this, Wayne. But a dog toy mimicked a real bourbon bottle? I don't even want to say brand names. And that actually made its way to the Supreme Court, which (laughs) which decided, I I think they decided we're undecided about this. And they sent it right back to the state where it came from. However, the Supreme Court was recently, very recently involved in something else that concerns animal lovers. Tell me about it. Well, a lot of these, you know, mundane things like toys or a pork chop, uh, they represent something larger, and the court is looking at some of these bigger legal principles. And the issue that came before the court relates to the humane treatment of animals raised for food. And myself and others had worked on a ballot measure in California in 2018 called Proposition 12. And Proposition 12 sought to give veal calves, breeding sows, and laying hens more space to live because they were in cages and crates barely larger than their bodies, and that inhibited their movement. And my principle, and I know, Steve, I think you agree, that if we're going to raise animals for food, we should treat them humanely and decently. They're sacrificing for us, and the least we can do is give them an opportunity to move around a little bit. It's part of their natural behavior. It's tied to their physical and psychological well-being. That measure also restricted the sale of pork, eggs, and veal that come from farms, whether in California or outside of the state, that conform to those standards. Now, it was a fair standard. It was not protectionist. The farmers in California have to adhere to the same standards that a farmer wishing to sell into California who operates from Iowa or Minnesota or North Carolina. So the pork producer sued, saying that California was trying to use its power as a massive market to drive changes in the pig industry and that they may be able to say what a California farmer can do, but they can't tell an Iowa farmer what to do. We said in response that this is a fair application of law. The states have authority to protect animals, and they have, they have the authority to uh, have food safety standards. And the court, a conservative uh, court with a 6-3 conservative majority, ruled in our favor and said that California acted within the bounds of its constitutional authority in fairly restricting interstate commerce involving an inhumanely produced product. And that was the essence. Now, Steve, what's happened is the pork producers 
based in Iowa are now pushing their way into Congress and trying to ask the Congress to overturn a vote of the people in California. All right. So we have to back up a step or two and explain some of this in English, if you will. So what was the Supreme Court decision? The Supreme Court uh, decided a case called National Pork Producers Council v. Ross. Ross was the secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture. And the pork producers were the plaintiffs, and they were trying to overturn California's law as an unfair restriction on interstate commerce. The Supreme Court ruled that California acted in a way that was proper and consistent with constitutional standards, and that it had fairly imposed a limitation on how animals could be treated in agriculture. And essentially, the, 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 you know, the argument for us on the ballot when this was you know, before the people of California is that it's inhumane to keep a sow, a breeding sow, in a cage that's barely bigger than her body, and she spends three years in a, in a cage that, that she can barely move in. So, Steve, think of a dog or uh, a, 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 a pet who is in a tiny, tiny cage that they don't get out of for three years. That's, it's, it's not as if crating your dog for an evening. This is crating an animal for three years. Right. So now... California, what they did was upheld. Does that mean that every state in the union can, or does that mean every state in the union will now do a better job of protecting their animals, or better put, perhaps, giving them uh, more appropriate welfare? Well, a lot of the states do not have the ballot initiative process, so the people cannot speak as clearly as they did in California. I, I don't think you'll see a lot of other states restricting sale of pork that comes from inly, inhumanely, you know, organized factory farms. But you will see more and more states ban these crates. And now, you know, there in Illinois, McDonald's is headquartered. McDonald's made a pledge in 2012 that it is going to stop within 10 years, and we're right at that point, 10 years, they're going to stop serving pork that comes from, from these factory farms that inhumanely confine the sows. Costco has made a similar pledge and is implementing it. Just about every major food retailer in the U.S. has done so as well. But the pork producers are kind of threatening them. They're saying, well, we're not going to give you this. You know, we don't want to. We we think it's fine to keep these animals in these cages. You know, a a sow is a sow, and she's a production unit, and we're going to treat them any way we want. That's essentially their arrogant, inhumane attitude. And Temple Grandin, in fact, has taught us lots of things that confirm what you say. Uh, and one of those things is, yes, it's about humane treatment, but there's more than that to this. There's more than only the welfare of the animal, there's the welfare to us. Because I believe, this is not my wheelhouse, but I believe that I've read, anyway, that scientists have shown that animals that are confined inhumanely are more stressed, and therefore the result is the product we get and consume ultimately just isn't as good and potentially makes those animals more susceptible to disease as well. well. I think you've got it exactly right, Steve, especially on that disease point. When you do stress these animals, it makes them more vulnerable to the onset of disease. Uh, their immune systems don't work as well in fending off pathogens. Food safety issues kill millions of Americans every year, uh, from salmonella to campylobacter, 
there are many different food safety issues, and we had two of our agricultural veterinarians at Animal Wellness Action and the Center for Humane Economy present an amicus brief to the Supreme Court attesting to that fact that that animals treated better, uh, with more space to move, less crowding, uh, less stress, are going to be healthier animals, less vulnerable to disease. All right. When we come back with Wayne Passell, I want to talk about China and what China has to do with everything we're talking about. He will explain, or at least try to, to the point that I can understand. And we will do that when we come back on WGN. Wayne Passell is the president of Animal Wellness Action and Center for a Humane Economy. We're talking about a recent Supreme Court decision that essentially defends animals. So, Say what you want about the Supreme Court, but if they're defending animals, forget about politics. I'm happy about that. I suspect you are too, Wayne. But what does this all have to do with China? Well, Steve, the case that came before the Supreme Court was National Pork Producers Council versus a public official representing the state of California. And the Pork Producers Council lost at the ballot box some years ago in California over a measure to stop the extreme confinement of farm animals. That measure also restricted the sale of pork and eggs and veal in the state, assuring consumers that whatever veal or pork or eggs are sold comes from animals who at least have some opportunity to move around and to stretch their limbs. So California, you know, was, was going to be implementing this, and the pork producers sued. They lost in the lower courts. They went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled in our favor, in California's favor, the animal's favor, and said that, California acted properly and that this was not an overreach, it was not unconstitutional, did not unfairly restrict interstate commerce. Now, the reason that China factors in, Steve, is that the biggest American pork-producing company, Smithfield Foods, is owned by the Chinese Communist Party. It was purchased in 2013. It was the biggest ever acquisition of an American company by the Chinese government. And the WH Group, which is the front for the Chinese government, doesn't have animal welfare standards. In fact, as I publish in a blog today at the Center for Humane Economy, they just basically started putting pigs in a 26-story high-rise. Uh, you know, think of a high-rise in, in downtown Chicago, 26 stories. They are filling it with pigs in extreme confinement. That is the value system of the Chinese government, and now... The Chinese government controls one-sixth of all U.S. pig production in the United States. Wow. As the Congress tries to now act on the wishes of the National Pork Producers Council, it is acting on the wishes of the biggest member of the National Pork Producers Council, which is the Chinese Communist Party. We don't don't want China taking over American agriculture and defining what animal welfare means, I can assure you. Does Congress feel the same way as to what you just said? Well, Congress has been railing about uh, increasing China, uh, Chinese control over uh, U.S. farmland. But I think really it's the Center for Humane Economy and Animal Action that are breaking the story about, you know, the, the actual details on the ground that one-sixth of all pig production is controlled in the United States by the Chinese Communist Party. I had no idea. I really didn't. So to read more about it, where can people go? 
People can go to the Center for a Humane Economy, Center for a Humane Economy, altogether.org. You'll see it right on the homepage about the EATS Act, China, and the, and the fight over the control of American agriculture, and American agriculture with no humane standards for the animals. So we're not talking about humane standards that aren't equal to ours, and many would argue we should be doing better, but we're talking about, I believe, pretty much no humane standards. Not at all. Remember, this is the nation that, that was driving the killing of elephants to make trinkets from their ivory. They were buying the, the ivory from the poachers in African countries. This is the country that has traditional Chinese medicine with, with rhino horn powder and bear bile. This is the country that, that has millions of people who still eat dogs and cats. They haven't had our civil society, Steve. They haven't had the Chicago Anti-Cruelty Society for a century or other animal welfare organizations for a century and a half. This is part of the marrow of our culture is a compassionate concern for animals. But this one-party authoritarian regime in China, not allowing civil discourse, not having civil society, doesn't have these norms. Yet they're taking over American agriculture. But I'm told that in big... I've not been to China. I've been to Hong Kong, but that was years ago. And now Hong Kong is China, or they're not China. I don't even know. I know what they are technically, but... I, I don't know that people there feel that they're really a part of China. And I think that if you live in a big city in China, at least regarding companion animals, it's changing. People don't certainly eat dogs in those cities. In fact, they keep them as pets and family members, just like we do. So it's kind of this uh, extreme dichotomy from what I understand. Well, you're correct. The you know Whatever the authoritarianism of the government, you cannot stop the expression of the human-animal bond, which you and I have talked about. And they don't suppress loving animals, uh, you know, in many of, the, of its forms. And this is an emerging social and cultural consciousness from the bottom up, really from the heart of people expressing love and appreciation for animals. But the government is still controlling the big industries, and when it comes to agriculture, it is production, production, production. Forget about animal welfare. When you have pigs in a 26-story high-rise, folks can go to our website, org and see this so-called pig farm. When have we ever thought of a high-rise as a farm? It's insane. Yeah. And also, they continue to have these open markets. And where COVID originated from or not, I don't know that we'll ever know. But disease is transmitted. We know that from these places and sometimes potentially created in these places where all of these animals that shouldn't be there in the first place, arguably, they're trafficked animals very often, are all kept together in confined places. The animals are stressed. They may be sick even going in. If not, they do get sick. And on and on and on with the dangers of these places that they said they would shut down, but to my knowledge, they have not. Well, the World Health Organization thinks that was the origin of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. There's this Wuhan Institute of Virology debate. But yeah. apart from that, as you said, 75% of emerging diseases that threaten people start in animals. And it's exactly as you say, Steve, when we capture wild animals, we cluster them in cages, overcrowd them, 
that creates perfect conditions for the spread of zoonotic diseases. And after COVID-19, do we really need convincing about the potential consequences for our society? And it's not our, uh, our, it's the world, really. It's not only our society. And, you know, it's such a small world now. And we found that out, right, with SARS-CoV-2, which caused COVID-19 to spread instantly, it seemed, all over the world. And it's likely a result of one of those open markets. But even if that's not where it came from, uh, we've got just a matter of time, according to people who know, before something will happen from there uh, or from one of these open markets. Not to mention the inhumane treatment of these animals in these open markets or the fact that these animals are there in the first place in these open markets that don't need to be there. Uh, so... A lot to talk about here, Wayne. Always a pleasure to talk to you, President of Animal Wellness Action and Center for a Humane Economy, Wayne Pacelli. Thank you so much, as always. Steve, thank you. Thank you for being such a voice for animals. Next week on the show, I talk with Dr. Marty Becker, who created the Fear Free Initiative. You might have seen that logo wherever you go to get your pets treated. There are fear-free veterinary practices and certainly veterinarians and technicians that are fear-free certified. Dog trainers are now fear-free certified. Pet sitters are now fear-free certified. What is it about fear-free? What is that in the first place? Well, it's all about minimizing fear, anxiety, and stress. It was created to minimize fear, anxiety, and stress at veterinary visits, and it's expanded, and it's expanding all over the world. We'll talk with Dr. Becker next week about this amazing initiative that has impacted veterinary medicine as nothing else has since I've been doing this, which is, well, we're approaching three decades. Dr. Marty Becker next week on Steve Dale's Pet World. She is an old friend and a certified veterinary technician, Mary Ann Minnick. You have exciting news about All Pets Wellness Center to announce. I do. Yes. Thank you, Steve. You are such a doll. Um, We are finally open. This has been a project we've been working on for many years. And though we're not opening on the grand scale we wanted to, we are opening, uh, we're, we're opening in stages. Um, our All Pets Wellness Center's daycare and boarding, which we're calling Play and Stay, officially opened on July 31st. And we, it opened that day in commemoration of my 31st wedding anniversary. So we wanted to tie all of that in because it's a family thing, you know. Um, August 1st was our actual anniversary, but the 31st was the day. So we are offering a, uh, a special anniversary special, so I call it, uh, for our first, uh, clients, our, our first boarders, uh, of $31 a day uh, for daycare and 62 for boarding. And uh, please know that somebody here, I will be here the entire time. Whenever we have any animals in the building, someone will be here to monitor them. So that is our exciting news. We are open. Our uh, contact information is basically, if you want to give us a call, our number is 630 630- Three two two nine nine zero zero again six three zero three two two ninety nine hundred. If you want to email me, please do uh, at allpetswcinfo at gmail dot com. A L L P E T S 
W-C-I-N-F-O at gmail.com, and I will get back to you. What we're doing is our first people coming in, we're always temperament testing to make sure that all of our animals are going to be able to get along. And if they can't, we want to make sure that we have them in the, the right groups and the right play groups or the right areas so that everyone can be safe and we can thrive together. All right. So, uh, you know, veterinary medicine right now is pivoting. Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of at a crossroads. It's it's an interesting time. And new clinics that are opening, which include yours, this is the part that's opening first, as you said, you're doing it in stages, right. uh, but will include much more in a different way than your great-grandfather's veterinary clinic. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Uh, we are... We are an, a wellness center, uh, so we're going to be offering services that for the entire uh, for the entire life of of our pets. Uh, we're starting with dogs and cats, and eventually we'll do horses. Um, we are offering daycare, boarding, training, grooming, and then we're and we're also offering rehab, which is uh, an up and coming. Well, it's not up and coming, but it's it's becoming more and more popular, and it's so so important for the life of all of our pets, our, the entire lifetime of our pets, I should say. Uh, and once, we, once we're going a little bit more, we're opening up our, our veterinary clinic. Now, the, the clinic, um, our veterinary hospital will be providing services that you don't necessarily find in other, other veterinary uh, practices. Uh, we're bringing in some state-of-the-art equipment so that we can help our doctors diagnose our, our, what's going on with our pets much quicker and in a, in a better fashion so that we can get them healthy faster. So we're, we're more of a lifestyle center in that sense. Um, we are providing, like I said, services for the entire life of, of, of our dogs, of our cats, of our, of our pets. So you mentioned that you'll take care of horses, uh, you're obviously not going to be in the heart of the city if you're going to be doing that. You're out in Aurora, just to make it clear as to where you are. Yes. And and I, you once said to me that you're going to provide dog training and you're going to do mm-hmm. some other things as well, uh, including uh, talking to the community about pet welfare, bringing in speakers. This is not your veterinary clinic where you've got two or three rooms, exam rooms, and you walk in and walk out, and that's all there is to it. Not that there's anything wrong with that if you get good veterinary care. You told me you want to do that, but at a bigger scale, but provide much more than veterinary care for sick animals, also preventive care, and also using technology that is just around the corner or here, including AI, artificial intelligence. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in order to, to really do the best that we can for our pets, we have to stay on the cutting edge of that. And we're, like you said, we're also working with the community. Uh, we have a plan. We're working with the, the town of Aurora, with our, with our, uh, existing, with the, with our, our towns around us, um, with their, the senior citizens and the veterans and people with special needs. Um, to to bring them in and to help help promote the the human animal bond. The, our whole concept has grown out of the human animal bond and how important that is. And so we will be doing outreach to the community to to help 
promote the, that with with programs, with education. We're going to be doing a lot of education because there's so much that pet owners don't know and don't understand about the things that they can do for their pets and the, and the, the tools that they have at their disposal, including things like pet insurance. That when, when I first started, when I first got my dog, my first dog 20 years ago with my husband, there were two pet insurance companies. Now there are nearly 20 that provide so many different services and that can help our, our pet owners provide the kinds of services that they need so that when they go in for emergency that they don't have to make a, a horrible decision of either treat or not. And and so those are the kinds of things that we want to do. We're also going to be having classes um, Bereavement and end-of-life issues are very important to me. Seniors are very important to me. So we're going to also provide those kinds of services, uh, uh, support groups, support classes. Mm-hmm. I know a uh, an assisted living facility that uh, has taken their residents uh, out on a bus, and they go to an animal shelter, and mm-hmm. they uh, create enrichment sorts of objects, you know, using crafts. Uh, for the cats and also the dogs at the shelter. Is that the kind of thing that you're thinking about? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things I also thought about was in, a, in, a, in the right environment and making sure that everybody is safe is, is having some of the, the folks just interact with our daycare and our boarding clients, um, and especially once you know they can they can they can either play with the dogs or just just be there and and pet the dog, pet the the animals because that in itself is so enriching for for us humans so yes uh doing those kinds of things and 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 providing enrichment for both the animals and for the people all right all so that's what it's all about it's it's about us us living with the animals and interacting with them All Pets Wellness Center, 1975, Melissa Lane in Aurora. And what is, again, your phone number? Our phone number is 630-322-9900. And that email address you gave us, you can give us again. Allpetswcinfo at gmail.com. A-L-L-P-E-T-S-W-C-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Certified Technician, veterinary technician, Marianne Minnick, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Steve. I really, really appreciate you and love you. You take care. She is Chicago's own Sandy Delisle, the executive producer and screenwriter of a movie called You're Out. You've gone Hollywood on us, but really, you, you, <laughs> did, you did all this in Chicago and Illinois, right? We did, and we are proud of it. Yeah, this is so cool. I mean, your movie even appeared at Cannes Film Festival. Did you ever think when you were putting all this together and trying to get a cast together during COVID that you'd end up at Cannes Film Festival? I didn't. It's absolutely surreal. And the cool thing about the movie from our perspective, my perspective, and you once worked in animal welfare, so it cannot be a coincidence that there's a dog in the movie... Uh, the dog goes on this road sort of adventure, and what's more, the dog happens to be a dog you'd look at and say, I think that's a pit bull. Can you talk about all that? I would love to talk about that. So, yes, my professional background is in animal sheltering and rescue. I actually still am 
gainfully employed as a shelter professional as well, and I did this movie on the side. So my passion is dogs and cats and animal welfare in general. So when I wrote the script, I knew there had to be a key part that included animal welfare, and I chose to bring along for the ride a dog who would typically be perceived to be a pit bull-type dog just because they often get a bad rap. So I wanted to show one in a positive light with the hope that it would have an impact like other movies have for certain breeds or types of dogs, like Lassie or Benji or, more recently, the Belgian Malinois in the dog movie with Channing Tatum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, all that is true, though, though, that, you know, 101 Dalmatians, everyone went out to get a, a Dalmatian. Dalmatians, exactly. are, yeah, they actually aren't the right dog for everyone. No dog breed is. They are no exception. And Benji, back in the day, helped support the adoption of all these shelter dogs because Benji was a mutt and clearly denoted in the movie as a star mutt. Do you hope this is kind of like a Benji movie and that there will be a you're out, number two, number three, you're out again, you're out for <laughs> the last time. And we'll just keep promoting shelter pets along the way. Oh, that's fine with me. So this explain what the movie is about so people have some idea. Absolutely. So it is, first and foremost, a comedy. So it is entertaining. It is about two dads who take their 17-year-old sons on an outlandish cross-country road trip to try to get the boys recruited by a top-tier baseball team. And all of the shenanigans that ensue, including finding and ending up adopting this lovely dog. Right. And the dog made a difference uh, for them. Uh, The dog wasn't just there. They kind of took lessons from a dog they did absolutely so the dog provided the main character the i guess you would say gusto to actually go through with doing something that he was afraid to do the dog was his inspiration to achieve his goal so yes the dog was a key element in the film and was portrayed, or the role was filled by a local rescue dog here in Chicago. Her name is Bobby, and she, as I said, is a rescue. She performs in Chicago's very own Midnight Circus, which some listeners may have heard of. So she is amazing. Now tell me the truth. You weren't the the director, but you were there. Who was easier to deal with? The dog... (laughs) Or the human actors? You know, I'm going to say the dog, because she came in on cue every time, (laughs) was always ready to go, didn't ask for anything extra, didn't need a dressing room or special snacks, and quite frankly, was so very adorable. (laughs) Yeah, and it's amazing. You got all this done during COVID. Now, there was one character in the movie who played a police officer who took bribes for... An animal shelter. He did, and and your listeners may know this amazing actor named Steve Dale. Yes, we were thrilled to have you in a cameo role in the film, and you nailed it. But yes, um, (laughs) we just had to keep going with that animal welfare theme, so when the main characters get 
pulled over for speeding, you uh, speak with them about the option of getting out of their ticket if they're willing to contribute to animal welfare. And they do so, so they can go on their merry way. Yes, and animal welfare benefits, at least in the movie. And it wasn't me so much. It was the dog I was holding, which happens to be our personal dog. So there I am with our nine-pound dog, but driving a police car and dressed as a police officer. And it was so much fun. The movie is so much fun. My question for you now, Sandy, is where can people see the movie? We're thrilled that we are on so many online platforms right now, including Amazon Prime. We're on Apple iTunes. We're on DirecTV, Dish TV, Google Play, YouTube. The easiest way to find us is to go to our website, which is youroutmovie.com slash watch, W-A-T-C-H. And that will list all of the platforms where you can currently find it. And there's no apostrophe in the you're out in the URL for that website. Just youroutmovie.com. And I love the music of the movie, by the way. And a part of that music is our own Nancy Faust. You're right. Nancy Faust is a huge animal lover, and she was so generous with her time and did contribute organ music to the film. So I think anyone who sees the film and appreciates baseball will really love that element as well. So what was the experience like? Are you seriously thinking of doing, you're out again, you're out returns, you're out comes back? (laughs) You're out twice. Yeah. Three times. So we will see how it does with the audience. Absolutely. I would be open to that. Um, I'm hoping that it will hit a home run and (laughs) speak to so many people on different levels. That's one of the things that we really were shooting for with this film was to have something that would appeal to everyone. Yes, it is a funny film. Um, some people have described it as being like a cross between National Lampoon's Vacation and The Hangover. Um, but it also has some really heartfelt moments, including moments with the dog, including father-son moments, moments between husband and wife. So there's just so much here um, that we think that someone will find something. Although I must say that it is a PG-13 Um Mature audience, we definitely have themes related to um, adult content that, you know, little ones probably should not watch. Yeah, but, not, not yeah. young Yeah, not young kids. Give me that website one more time, Sandy. Absolutely. It's youroutmovie.com with no apostrophe, just Y-O-U-R-E, movie.com, or youroutmovie.com. Perfect. Sandy Delisle, congratulations, and thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Now I get to say, you're out! Thanks, Sandy. Thank you. So a warning now from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. There have been illnesses reported spreading all over the country of salmonella, and these outbreaks have been caused by red-eared slider turtles, and little turtles as well. So the Salmonella most likely occurs in the red-eared sliders that have a carapace or shell that is four inches in diameter or smaller. Those aren't even supposed to be sold, but they are illegally on the Internet 
at fairs and parking lots at Home Depot, wherever. Be careful. And I'll tell you, here's the thing. If the turtles are in the proper environment, which is often not the case, sadly, anyway, for the turtle, that's where the problem begins because the turtles get stressed. So remember, I I remember growing up as a kid, I was guilty. I was probably eight years old. What did I know? And it was a long time ago where I had one of those turtles that mom got me. Remember those plastic palm trees and those plastic things and you'd put water in a part of it and then the turtle could climb up? That's not the proper environment for red-eared sliders. They need hydrated water, for starters. But they also need much more than that, and their environment to be kept clean. And by the way, when it is kept clean, use gloves and wash your hands. That will prevent the problem of salmonella from being transmitted, if it even is there. Because if the turtles are not stressed, it's unlikely to be there. The CDC says we have an official count, but it's probably far higher because sometimes people don't get very sick from salmonella. Uh, It's a couple of days of discomfort. They don't report it to their doctor, and they know, they believe anyway, that the case numbers are far higher. Treat your pet turtle well please. See you next week, bright and early on WGN.